0: Hello oh, and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts. My
1: name is Matt Vizell. And I am Ethan Knight.
0: And we are back with number 42 on the AFI Top 100 list of films, 1967's Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. Ethan, we have a standing conversation. We do. About these late 60s, early 70s films. Yes. They seem to have taken the list a little bit in force. They have. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think we'll get into that as we go through this episode, sort of clarify some of our earlier points and maybe build out on this theme or potential theme we're seeing here. But first... I think we should get a plot synopsis.
1: Okay, fine. Bonnie and Clyde is the story of bank robbers Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow. They were real people. The film opens with Bonnie spying Clyde, attempting to steal her mother's car. When she confronts him, he asks her on a date of sorts, and after revealing that he has just finished a small stint in prison, Clyde is goaded by Bonnie to commit armed robbery. As the two flee, Bonnie is smitten, though Clyde refuses her sexual advances. The two begin a crime spree, starting small but continually escalating. They recruit gas station attendant C.W. Moss and hook up with Clyde's brother Buck and his wife Blanche, though Bonnie and Blanche immediately dislike each other. As their exploits become more and more violent, Blanche and Bonnie disagree more and more often, and Bonnie grows tired with Clyde's lack of physical affection. Clyde is more affected by his own violence than Bonnie, though Bonnie grows to worry about her own family. After being raided, the group is ambushed by a Texas Ranger who they easily overpower and humiliate, fueling the officer's vendetta against them. Eventually, the group is ambushed yet again by police, and Buck is shot in the face while Blanche is blinded. Buck and Blanche are captured, and Buck dies while CW, Bonnie, and Clyde flee to CW's father's house. Blanche, now fully blind, is tricked by the Texas Ranger into revealing CW's identity, allowing him to track the remaining members of the group down. The gang recovers, and Bonnie and Clyde finally consummate their relationship while, at the same time, dialing their crimes way back. However, CW's father is livid that his son has been corrupted, so he gives up the couple to the police while negotiating a deal for his son. Bonnie and Clyde are ambushed a final time and are gunned down in their car as the film ends.
0: Pretty grim ending? Pretty grim. Put it along with a couple of the other films you've been watching recently. Most recently, in fact, Midnight Cowboy.
1: Yeah, not another happy ending like that.
0: (laughs) Similar kind of final shot where a character is emoting and you get nothing else, right? No sense of closure, just conflicted emotions. Mm -hmm. Which is why I've chosen this pivotal scene. It's about nine minutes into the film. You talked about it in your synopsis. It's where Bonnie and Clyde have just finished their first armed robbery. And Bonnie is trying to have some sexual interaction of some sort
2: it's with sexy Clyde.
0: sexy time. And, of course, Clyde rebuffs her because we are given to understand that he is impotent.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's play the scene, because I think there's a lot going on here worth discussing.
2: Now, all right, now, look here. I might as well tell you, right off. I ain't much of a lover, boy. That don't mean nothing personal about you. I mean, I I, I never saw no percentage in it. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I don't like boys. Boy. Boy, boy. Huh? <laughs> boy, boy. <laughs>
1: Your advertising is just dandy. Folks never guess you don't have a thing to sell. You better take me home now. Now, Now don't you touch me!
2: All right, all right. If all you want's a stud service, you get on back to West Dallas, and you stay there the rest of your life. you're worth more than that, a lot more than that, and you know it, and that's why you come along with me. You could find a lover boy on every damn corner in town. It don't make a damn to them whether you're waiting on tables or picking cotton, but it does make a damn to me! Why? Why? What you mean, why? Because you're different, that's why. You know, you're like me, you want different things. You got something better than being a waitress. You and me traveling together, we could cut a path clean across this state, and Kansas, and Missouri, and Oklahoma, and everybody'd know about it. You listen to me, Miss Bonnet Parker. You listen to me. How would you like to go walking in the dining room of the Dolphus Hotel in Dallas, wearing a nice silk dress and have everybody waiting on you? Do you like that? Does that seem like a lot to ask? That ain't enough for you. You got a right to that. Hey, when did you figure all that up? The minute I saw you. You may be the best damn girl in Texas.
0: The thing I think is most important about this scene is that Clyde illustrates something complex here. Mm -hmm. He says, look, if you just want some kind of lover boy, you can find anyone on the street like that, but you're worth more. And if you come with me, I can show you really to that potential. Mm -hmm. You can be in a silk dress at the Adolphus Hotel, being waited on as opposed to being a waitress he hasn't i don't know he has by this point determined that she's a waitress right he sort of intuits y- yeah. a lot of things about her life and in fact the next scene is him intuiting a lot more about her life mm-hmm. but what i think is important about this moment is it shows something atypical about this glorified robber this villain mm-hmm. or at least villain in the legal sense that he is seeing something a value in bonnie and wants to see that grow he doesn't just want the same kind of thing you'd expect from sort of the masculine carnal villain
1: right he does not want a a, a pet to follow him around he wants uh, a partner truly
0: and he yeah he truly wants an equal here
1: yeah and i think he also as as the further we along we get in the film the more and more uh bonnie becomes you know sort of in charge of these things uh and so i think perhaps clyde may even recognize his deficiencies and her ability to fill them
0: and i think that's what's even further complicating this scene is that while clyde is saying all these things i'm thinking oh that's really kind of different and really kind of ethically better than what you'd expect A film like this to do maybe a film Mm -hmm. like in 2018 would show a very graphic sex scene of these two but we don't get that so i think that's good on the film but additionally he's saying all of this to further complicate the situation because he's impotent
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: so he has actual deficiencies in that he can't perform what she's asking of him and he passes it off as i don't want to say excuse but maybe it is for all this talk about her potential Mm -hmm. so i think that makes his statement so ambivalent and of course at this point in the film you don't know this his impotency Mm -hmm. and that's why i think this film is really something special because every good thing it shows you it undercuts every bad thing it shows you it shines a new perspective on it Mm -hmm. so i think this is really indicative of the entire film you were talking about Hamer, the, sh- the Texas sheriff, that they yes. or Texas ranger, rather, that they capture and humiliate, and he gets back uh, And, and dear
1: listeners, that's that's actually what Matt looks like. Like, that is what he looks like. <laughs>
0: that mustached uh,
1: The mustache, the hat. I, that's actually what you wore to class every day when we were in classes together.
0: I just don't see why they need to know that, but that's fine. Well, I
1: just thought I'd share it so they can have a better visual image. Better visual image <laughs> of me, yeah. So, <laughs> as
0: I'm sort of twirling my mustache here, I think... Even Hamer, who is supposed to be the law, he's supposed to be up and up, we see a lot of negative aspects to his character. He manipulates Blanche into getting the job done and gets Moss's father to sell him out. Mm -hmm. And they gun down Bonnie and Clyde in cold blood, which I think it's it's only left assumed in the film, but that's not a legal apprehension of these criminals. Yeah, I don't think so it's gratuitous it's overdone the camera in the most violent part of the film just shows you all these bullets entering their bodies and how they're just dying in grotesque ways and lying in grotesque positions and that's that final moment when they all walk up the posse basically Mm -hmm. and some of them take their hats off and all of them look troubled all of them have that ambivalent look through their faces not a single one is smiling yay we did it right each one Mm -hmm. knows something terrible has happened that they have yeah. transgressed really the extent of the law. And I think that's throughout the film. I think we see that with almost every character, if not every character in some way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is a film about, about transgressions in, in many ways. Um, and, and a lot of that is, is fueled by a, this, a fear of mediocrity. All of the, uh, not all of them, but a lot of these characters are really worried about, being mediocre or being not enough uh and so they go to great lengths to avoid that uh including breaking the law or murdering people
0: and there's also something complex about the idea of fame in this film where Mm -hmm. you have that scene where Clyde and Bonnie go back to visit Bonnie's family and they're in this like cement quarry or something just this yeah. area and they're on guard which at first i thought was a dream sequence because mm-hmm. the film the grainy film yeah to the whole scene so i was like is this real and i thought it was an imagined return but it's an actual return we learned no, later is, yeah yeah so i'm not sure why they chose that lens for this but they did and once it was cleared up for me and those are their actual conversations these characters are having they're now afraid that they can't return to anonymity and mediocrity right the fact that they can have a normal life
1: yeah and they simply cannot i mean that's that's the fact right that's actually the scene i thought you were going to choose for for the pivotal scene because i think at that point uh it becomes pretty clear that like there is no good ending to this they're there, you're not moving back to your first of all clyde is like lying to bonnie's mom he's just making shit up uh And then, you know, Bonnie's mom is like, well, I fucking hope you don't do that. If you think you're going to move three miles from me, you're going to die. Like, there is no going back. They've gone too far now.
0: Yeah, you better keep running, Clyde Barrow. I think it's what she tells him.
1: Yeah, and and that's what they end up having to do. I mean, they run until the end. There's no no hideout.
0: When they try to hide out, they get gunned down.
1: Yeah. Well, and even after uh, Bonnie and Clyde have, you know, sex... They're, you know, they're they're in bed or whatever together, and uh, Bonnie asks him how if he would do everything different, and Clyde is like, "Yeah, I would," and then he's like, "I would do it. I, we would go up into another state and then come back after we robbed the bank." Like she's asking, "Would you do it all differently?" He says, "Yes," but he's not answering the question she's asking. Yeah, he's know? still a
0: criminal in this situation, and she's hoping for him to further their illusion that they can go back to a domestic existence. They can they could be something other than on the run all the time.
1: Right. Well, and I think Bonnie was always using this as a means to an end, a way to get out of Texas and to get out of like, you know, her, her boring, awful life. Um, And Clyde is just, uh, he is just a criminal. Uh, He's smart, but not smart enough.
0: He just can't envision a life where he's not using deception to gain advantage in the world that has put him at a disadvantage.
1: Right. I mean, and he he talks about, you know, like, this is the best way to make money. We're just using this to make money. And it's like, are you? Are you, though?
0: This is very similar. I was thinking of this with Midnight Cowboy. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he goes to new york to be a hustler to make money but joe black doesn't realize you know there are other ways to do this you can still be that dishwasher he faces that new york right deli and sees a dishwasher and rejects that right and then keeps going down his sort of sordid road because he just can't see as an option and i think clyde is the same way
1: yeah no i think so uh whereas bonnie can can begin to see some sort of alternative um but doesn't have the, I don't know, strength of will to, or or the faith in Clyde to actually be able to stop.
0: Well, they can't, right? And I think that's why I'm sort of bound up with fame in this film is that every time they see somebody rob a bank, they tell them who they are and right. they take pictures and they send poetry into newspapers. They cannot get out of this. In a world yeah. in which they are not nearly as connected as 2018 in terms of like social media and news propagation, they have found a way to become beyond famous or they have found a way to make it impossible to become anonymous again
1: right i mean i guess their only real option is it would be to do something like flee to mexico you know but like they're not going to do that because the whole point is being in america and what are they going to go do down there you know like just rob more banks because clyde doesn't see any other way to make money
0: yeah it's really funny because you just described Butch Cassidy, Butch and, the Cassidy and the Sundance
1: Kid. Kid. Right, exactly. So even if they Butch Cassidy it, there's no way out. And that movie is totally, absolutely related to this film. I mean, it's part of that whole uh, se- late 60s, 70s shift.
0: Right, which is all the films we've been talking about these past couple of episodes and how right. they're all interrelated in this way. That there's something decidedly ambivalent if we could use those two terms in conjunction
1: yeah and violent i mean there is the there is the sort of uh graphic violence that is is new uh Mm -hmm. you know this film in particular is is uh known for being one of the most graphically violent films at, at its time uh because of the way they treat you know, bullet wounds, um, but because of the way they treat, I mean, in the first 30 minutes of the film, Clyde shoots a man straight up in the face and yeah. you see it, you see his face like explode on the glass. Um, and that is, you know, this is, what is it? 1966, 67, 67. So, I mean, that's, a, you know, it's kind of a bit, and this is one of the first films to use squibs, right? Those little exploding blood packs when you get shot. Mm-hmm. So, you know that, I mean, so there's a lot going on here that, uh, that that is that is great i mean it was it was sort of condemned by a lot of people as being you know smut this you know disgustingly violent uh film yeah i think we should mention that critically initially
0: this film was a flop right people mm-hmm. despised it like you're, you're mentioning and it wasn't until a little bit later until a few voices started speaking up that people saw this as valuable
1: yeah and i mean that's not to say it wasn't necessarily popular because of course we love to look at the the (laughs) sordid yeah the spectacle um but yes it was critically uh not not in good good straits at the panned. i think it's the term right critically panned yes
0: but something that roger ebert said in his review really stuck with me he points out that yeah this film is set in times before but it's about us right 1967 Mm -hmm. 1968 america which i think is also still true of 2018 in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. which is why i think us watching these films has any value really at all right if they were just disconnected historical situations you would learn something about a different time but only if that time connects to your own can you really find true value in it
1: right and all historical fiction is not about the period it's set in right it's about the period it's made um you know so you have to so so we we absolutely it it, it does tell us something about 67 right mm-hmm. um and and of course we certainly can take something from it now i like you said this idea of fame is is really interesting um and and how they just really embrace it to their own detriment at the end of the day
0: yeah and i think to further that it's their fame that seals the deal for them mm-hmm. i think bonnie comes to something of a fatalist attitude at least in her poem at the end of the film, after they've mm-hmm. consummated their relationship physically, she says it's all going to end in a hail of bullets, basically. Mm-hmm. And that is literally true. That's what but happens, yeah. it's fame that makes them notorious. Mm-hmm. That notoriety prevents them from being anonymous, which is directly at odds with what Bonnie initially wanted. But I think it's once she talks to Clyde in bed, that scene you were talking about earlier, when she says, if you did it all again differently, how would you do it? And he just keeps talking about crime that she sort of resigns herself. She has that moment where she's quiet and looks away and then she finally mm-hmm. smiles sort of bitterly. And I think that's her resigning herself to, yeah, you know, he's not, he's not capable of perpetuating this illusion that I want. There is no going back. We are what we are. Mm-hmm. We have made choices. And we have to stick with them. And I think when they're at C.W. Moss's father's house, his big qualm with them is all is that they corrupted Moss. But on top of that,
1: it's because
0: they're famous
1: they're famous and cw moss doesn't even get his name in the papers
0: that's exactly it
1: and you know yeah that the his father's such an interesting character because he's like angry that his son is tainted but he seems just as angry that his son isn't famous
0: yeah yeah and there's that ambivalence again i think this is further complicated by the fact that clyde is really sensitive to the needs of the common person. He's something of a Robin Hood figure. He doesn't actually give the money to people, but they're at that bank that one time, and he he asks the guy, hey, is that your money? He says, yeah. He says, well, you go ahead and take that back. And that guy in the deli tries to attack him with a cleaver, and there's a long moment where he's talking to Bonnie. He says, I'm not against him. I'm not against him. Why is he trying to kill me? So he's very sensitive to that when Hamer comes after them the first time and they grab him and humiliate him. Clyde is furious because this Texas Ranger is bounty hunting instead of protecting the rights of common people. That's right. what he literally says. And so you add all that together. C.W. Moss's father is that common man, and he's mm-hmm. against Clyde.
1: Yeah. Well, against against Clyde when he's actually faced with Clyde, but he probably reads the newspapers just like everybody else and revels in the uh, in the carnage. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but- I think.
0: There's layers of complications to the yeah.
1: ambivalence. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Uh, well, even Bonnie. I mean, this idea that Bonnie's like trying to imagine a future in which they, uh, you know, weren't criminals, and seems exasperated with Clyde. But on on the same token, like she's a cold blooded killer too. Like she straight up murders people. She and she has no no problem with it. I mean, Clyde shoots that man in the face. His first murder. And they go to the movies, and Bonnie is like, you know, Clyde and C.W. Moss are freaking out because they have just shot a man in the face. They're going to be wanted for murder. They killed someone. And Bonnie's like, if you're going to talk, go outside. I'm watching a movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's before it's real to her, right? Like, that's Clyde's first killing. And so the first thing I'll witness, but you're right that she is less affected by it. I think this is still dream life. I think it's still that illusion for her. Yeah. And it's only later when they have to, there are multiple attempts at escape and shooting and people die and people get left behind that this becomes a real situation. And that final straw, I think is her talking to Clyde and Clyde not willing or not able to participate in the continuation of the illusion that they can have a domestic life, that they continue to live mm-hmm. as people other than the people they've become. Yeah. And I think something else I want to point out in our conversation about the layers, the complexity, the layers of ambivalence in this film is something that Bonnie herself says. So in that Roger Ebert uh, review, he talks about how there's a lot of senselessness to the film as well, Mm -hmm. unapologetic senselessness. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, of course, intentional. And Bonnie says something to Clyde. She says, when we started out, I thought we were going somewhere. But this is it. We're just going, huh? And I think that's such a perfect encapsulation of that senselessness is that they are trying to attain that potential, right? That potential that Clyde has promised her. They want to be wealthy. It never quite quite works out. They just get stuck in the system of crime that they're in, and there's no advantage to it. And they are just going, right? There's a certain momentum to it, and they're stuck in this path, and it's never going to lead them to greatness. They have fame of a sort of notoriety and infamy. But that's never going to translate into attaining their dreams.
1: That's true. I mean, that promise that he gives, you know, you can go to this hotel and the furs and blah, 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 blah. Uh, they, they never achieve that. The closest they get are shitty motels that that, that get shot up. You know, they mm-hmm. they don't live a glamorous life. They they're sleeping in, you know, abandoned homes, you know, foreclosed, abandoned homes, uh, shitty motels, um, you know, out in the woods You know, they they don't – there is no true glamour to their lives except for when they, you know, clean themselves up to go rob the banks, right? And I
0: would argue that this is something of a perversion of the American dream, just like the American dream itself is its own perversion in a weird way, right? The idea that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can make yourself wealthy. You can become Andrew Carnegie and become, you know, famous, wealthy, and happy. Mm -hmm. But that system is – Predicated upon the inequality of capitalism, and there's always someone that's taking from someone. And in this situation, Clyde is able to fight back a little bit against the banks by taking their money, but it doesn't get him anywhere. Just no, like it doesn't. you working yourself up the corporate ladder at your career doesn't really get you anywhere that way either.
1: Right. It's like after they rob the banks and he lays out all the money, and he's like, it's not very much. And it's, it's so you went through all of that for you know for not very much money you're right i mean it is that sort of like yeah you're, you're desperately trying to claw your way up just like you would at any other job and it's all incremental it doesn't you never they never achieve it and many people don't ever achieve the american dream themselves because it's a myth
0: <laughs> it's a myth that a one percent population can attain but all of yeah. that itself is still a myth because that wealth that they attain is only because they had prior wealth due to family and it's all based on exploitation anyway.
1: Right. Of course.
0: So Ethan, why don't we try to move on and go to our three questions? Do it. So what do we owe this film?
1: Well, we absolutely owe, I think, you know, some of the gratuitous violence we've already seen uh, in, in later films. And just, I mean, this does help sort of shift the, the tone of filmmaking, Uh, I think this is one of the films that does really spur that shift towards the anti-heroes or the ambivalence that we see uh, in the 60s and 70s, you know, late 60s, throughout the 70s, you know, into these sort of bad cops and, you know, bad cowboys and blah, blah, blah. Uh, So we definitely owe that. And, and, you know, I think we owe the uh, modern image of like the gun mall the M O L L uh to to Bonnie, right? This she's the sort of femme fatale uh except she's not the villain, right? Like she's the protagonist.
0: I think we also are justified, in including some of the other films on the list we've been talking about. Yeah. Butch casting the Sundance Kid has come up already. Midnight Cowboy has come up. I think there's some easy rider in this. The fact that they are traveling cross country and trying to attain something, trying to break out of an established system and are never quite able to do it. They're just Mm -hmm. met with like tragedy and calamity as they go. I think the Wild Bunch is in here as well. And then even a little bit of the French Connection, that might just be like the Gene Hackman (laughs) thing. (laughs) Yeah. But I also think that there's something to. Everyone is crooked. There's no such thing as a completely morally upstanding or completely uncomplicated or entirely unambivalent character in these yeah. compromised situations and compromised yeah. world in which we're living.
1: What's uh, well, and in the heat of the night, right? We get a little bit of that in the heat of the night. Uh, yeah, so it's all it's all part of that.
0: Yeah, and I think that's why the, the list AFI Top 100 has these things is because they are illustrating something very important. And I think if we just take a glance at, you know, 1960s, 1970s United States, there's a lot going on. Get civil rights movement, mm-hmm. assassination of JFK, which the filmmakers of this film have mentioned that there's a connection to that, right? They're trying to be explicit with the connection to the assassination of JFK mm-hmm. in the gunning down of Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. You also have the Vietnam War, of course, but you've also got, like, the peace and free love movement at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so the United States itself becomes this incredibly conflicted space. Right. And I think that's why the films are like this. They are trying to sort through all of our national identity, which is built on mythology. It's built on the American dream. It's built on the ideas of freedom that doesn't quite line up with what we're seeing in the world entirely
1: yeah definitely
0: so i think this this film itself has an important contribution as well through the approach of fame specifically and all of the consequences both positive and negative of that kind of fame Mm -hmm. so do we care about this film ethan
1: uh yeah i think we do
0: i think like you know midnight cowboy i think i also hadn't maybe not some initial like i wasn't on board off Mm -hmm. the bat with this film i thought things were moving very quickly i thought everything was kind of too easy at first but i think by the end of the film i realized that that was the writers and director trying to undercut something about the nature of people becoming famous or rich or or that american dream just shooting up in the world kind of thing Mm -hmm. so I had a similar experience where I initially was against the film and by the end was, was definitely on board. So, yeah, I definitely care about this one.
1: Well, and this has been one of my favorite films for a long, long time, uh, mainly because I was just interested in the characters of Bonnie and Clyde. So so we have to I think we have to care about it, too, because it definitely does solidify the the modern understanding of Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, you know, we, we think of Bonnie and Clyde as the characters from this film, not as really their actual historical counterparts because it was a, a, a bit different
0: right so let's ask our final question does this film hold up
1: i think absolutely i think aside from a few strange cuts um that you know look a little slap slap a haphazard i think this film does hold up i think that uh you know it it has a strong female lead i mean it's really more bonnie's story than clyde's story mm-hmm. uh you know, because we see it, the movie starts really with her and and she's the more interesting character, I think, because she runs the gang for a while, you know, and she there. I, I don't remember all the points of the Bechdel test off the top of my head, although I would not be terribly surprised if this film either passed or got pretty close to passing.
0: I'm trying to think about it right now. It might be the case that Bonnie is never alone in the scene. True. But in any case, I would agree that this film largely does hold up. I do think there are some herky jerky moments. There's some sped up shots. There are some missing frames in certain areas. Yeah. So weird cuts like that. But I also think that first scene you mentioned where we see Bonnie, first time she's in her bedroom, completely nude. It's not graphic, it's all, let's call it tastefully hidden and it's just mm. illustrating her being caged right she's framed by the window she's framed by her yes. her bedpost the metal bedpost and then Clyde shows up i think there are beautiful moments of cinematography like that that say something that isn't stated right they're they're using environmental storytelling right. in this way to further the themes of the film so i think that's really well done
1: exactly and and it becomes an important theme that you know bonnie feels sexually frustrated throughout the film so it's very important to immediately establish her as a sexual person uh you know lying around naked in her room but not necessarily objectifying her um i mean i guess there is probably an argument for her being objectified but i i think that it's much more about like you said that visual storytelling setting that up so that we immediately know that she's both trapped and sort of sexually frustrated and clyde only can really scratch one of those itches for her
0: i think it becomes a self-objectification where she is viewing herself as an object, right? All those truckers that Clyde talks mm-hmm. about and how she's presenting herself to them to make money as a waitress. But then often, sometimes she wants to have sexual relations with them and sometimes she doesn't. And she, she like calls out to Clyde while she's fully naked at the window. So there's something about her using that as a kind of crutch. And it's not until she's able to come fully into her identity as this robber baroness or whatever you want to title mm-hmm. her as that she starts seeing that as not the pinnacle of importance that she might have when she was a waitress mm-hmm. ethan i think that's gonna do it for us with this episode
1: i think it will
0: i want to bring up briefly that next week on patreon you can subscribe to us on patreon patreon.com slash spoilers
1: cast patreon.com slash spoilers cast
0: there, for $5 a month, you get two bonus episodes, so you double your spoilers.
1: Double your pleasure, double your fun, double mint, double mint,
0: double mint gum. And this week, we are taking on a Christmas classic of sorts, right, Ethan?
1: The second of our holiday film month.
0: And that film is going to be Die Hard.
1: Die Hard. Uh, you'll remember our last uh, week's film was the classic uh Christmas movie Jurassic World that's right <laughs> it does begin at christmas
0: yeah so we have these films that are let's say tangentially <laughs> related to christmas i think Die Hard in the current understanding is is more related to christmas than perhaps Jurassic World
1: that uh, Jurassic World is b- only i mean i just thought that was funny <laughs>
0: however if you can't afford the patreon or you're just not interested in it We will be back two weeks from now, back on the AFI Top 100, and we'll be taking on King Kong.
1: King Kong. The original one, not the Peter Jackson one.
0: Correct. Until next time, I've been Matt Buzel,
1: And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. We rob spoilers. There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts, was created and hosted by Matt Bizzell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bizzell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at BeccaTheKnight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com/spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening and please tune in next week for more spoilers.